0: But actually, James is probably the first piece of New New Testament literature that was written. one of the first letters that was written. James was the brother of Jesus. He was the half-brother of Jesus. What a trippy thing, right? You thought you had a complicated family history. How would you like it if your older brother was God? That will send you to counseling, that's going to give you an inferiority complex. I'll mess you up. And it actually did. We know that James had issues with his older brother. He did not believe. Like Jesus was doing all kinds of crazy stuff, saying crazy things. Like, I'm God in the flesh. And, and James and his other brothers and sisters, like they, they tried to pull an intervention on Jesus. It's like, finally, he's cracked. He's taken it too far. He's going to get himself killed, and he's probably going to get us killed and humiliated too. So let's do an intervention on this guy and make sure and straighten him up. But they couldn't straighten up Jesus. Here is another amazing minor detail that we usually overlook. James was the older brother of Jesus who did not believe in the claims of his own brother. He didn't believe him. He might have even seen the magic tricks. he didn't believe him Until he resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven. And then something, something happened in the heart of James where he not only calls Jesus brother, but he calls him Lord and my Savior. I don't know how you get to that kind of shift, but if, if Jesus was a charlatan, if he was not who he said he was, why would his older brother do this? And James was also one of the earliest martyrs. Right after Stephen, right at, probably right after this letter was written, uh, church tradition tells us that James gets his skull bashed in. Oh joy. All right, let's read what he has to say. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He leaves this part out. I would have added it. My older brother. (laughs) But you see who he says he is? He is the Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And then he says, so he's writing this letter to the 12 tribes. There are no lost tribes, by the way. Even though you might be Goog- I, I do this, I, I waste too much time trying to find the lost tribes of Israel on YouTube. <laughs> on YouTube. Um, there's all kinds of really fascinating theories of where they went, but according to James, they're not lost, <laughs> they're, they haven't gone anywhere, they're not in the, in the Americas leading the Native Americans to the Lord, although I kind of deep down inside think that and I actually want to believe, yeah. I want to believe, yeah, you're with me, aren't you? Yeah. It happened, right? <laughs> thank you. They got on some Phoenician ships and they sailed to America long before the Vikings did and long before Christopher Columbus did. That's not true. That's not true. I don't know. I don't know if it's true. I just want it to be true, okay? I'm sorry. This is what I I, I spent too much time on this. But he says, "...to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations." So he's speaking to his brothers that have been scattered. This is this is we are talking about the early church. We're talking about Acts. We're talking about Acts 2. We're talking about right after 3,000 and then 5,000 come to the Lord immediately. And James says, oh my gosh, all that crazy stuff my brother said was true. And, and, and it's the conviction of his heart made James a leader. That one statement that Jesus is Lord. You know, my brother that used to, you know, give me Indian burns on my arm. My brother that used to chase me around. And I I don't know if Jesus did stuff like that. I just have to assume that he did because he's an older brother. My brother is Lord. (laughs) Because of that, he's the leader of Jerusalem. Some say he could have been the bishop. We don't know. But he was definitely elevated instantly to a place of leadership. And based off of this letter, he deserves it. Like this guy is deep. And it's not because Jesus is his older brother. This guy understands the Word of God. He is, I don't get, I don't, we're not going to have time to get into it, but he is quoting the Word of God over and over and over again. Almost everything that he says is a quote from the Old Testament. And it's all wisdom. Like, we got to get this deep down inside of this. It's all wisdom. All right, fun fact James is an English word, uh, but his Hebrew name is Jacob, Jacob. Did you know that? This little nerd thing there. But, yeah, it's uh, J- James' is Jacob. So we could actually call this the book of Jacob if it was, I don't know, written 100 years prior to when James wrote it. So Jacob, Jacob. And he's writing to his brothers and sisters scattered. And the reason why they're scattered is because the early church, this Acts 2 church that everybody wants to emulate nowadays, we just want to be cool, we want to be relevant, we want to be intense, we want to be all in. Well, they all get persecuted. And they all run. It was, I'm not quite sure, I have, to, have to push into this a little bit f- further, why they run? Were they a bunch of cowards? I don't know, I don't think so, but I think it was probably God's plan. But all of God's people, probably the majority of them that were there at the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit fell in fire, they all ran, they all scattered like rats to the farthest points of the earth. James very well could have been writing to people in India, Jews in India, he was writing to Jews in Egypt, he was writing, definitely writing to Jews in Greece, he was writing maybe Jews in Spain, quite possibly Jews that were in France, Gaul. He's writing to everybody, this letter is to everybody, all the tribes, even those lost ones that are in in North America. (laughs) See, somebody, It's it's okay to giggle, if you can get my humor, it's completely okay. Here we go. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. Who wants to be mature? Some people do. Awesome. I don't. I'd rather just stay immature and be a little child and have fun the rest of my life. But God has called us into maturity. I have Peter Pan syndrome, if you don't know. Don't wanna grow up. Don't want responsibility. I wanna live in a treehouse my entire life. When I left college, I'm like, I could just live here for the rest of my life. I like it. Go to the dorm, there's food, right? Hang out, have fun, party. This must be God's will for my life. To be a lifelong student, I. I don't know, but there was the day of reckoning, right? I am, thank you, I am, it's so true, I can't stop learning, I have to have more, there's always something to learn. All right, um, so they'll be lacking nothing, and If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, that's all of us, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, hang on to your seats, but when you ask, you must believe. Have you ever asked God half-heartedly? God, would you really help me out here? But deep down inside, you don't think that he will. You must ask and you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So if you go in half-hearted, if you go in with the... This is so hard. This is so hard because it's okay to doubt. It's okay to you know, it's, it's actually part of our faith journey that, that, that we are actually allowed and given the place to doubt. But, but you've got to understand, in that place of doubt, um, God's not going to answer your prayers. I'm sorry, but he's, it's okay. He's probably not answering most of your prayers anyway. It's okay. Get through it, ask your questions doubt. Maybe it will do something inside of you. Maybe you'll learn something deep. Go ahead and doubt. But eventually you're going to have to submit. Eventually you're just going to have to say, alright, Lord, I don't understand. Be like Job. I'm going to ask you some questions when I go to heaven. No, you won't. What? Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the the test, that person will receive a crown of life. So if you're going through difficult times, and if you don't give up, and if you push on in, and if you say, I'm in it to win it, I'm not going to give up. In in this this trial, in this place of difficulty, I'm going to say to myself, at least in my mind, oh joy. Oh joy. Oh joy, God! I am going through this trial, and here's—I think—here's the key. I'm—I'm I'm, I'm choosing to learn in this situation. It—it's bad. It stinks. It's horrible. But I'm going to choose to learn. What, oh joy? What can I learn out of this, God? It's a huge shift in the way that we perceive stuff. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. There's five different crowns. We don't have. We'll it'll be a series someday. We'll talk about the five crowns. Your your salvation is free. You can get in by the, actually the term the skin of the teeth. That actually comes from the Bible. You can get into heaven by the skin of your teeth. You you're, you can be completely consumed and burned up, yet you will still go to heaven if you if you. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You're you're good to go. You're golden. You're in. You just might not have any crowns. It's okay. Pastor, let you borrow his crown every once in a while. Maybe. I doubt it. I won't because I'm like this only child, selfish syndrome thing. Can't use if if I get a crown, right? But there's all kinds of different crowns. There's the, the crown of rejoicing. There's the, the, the crown, the eternal crown, the, you know, the one that doesn't decay. There's all kinds of cool crowns that you can earn. Badges. Let's earn some badges. Yeah. You don't need those singing badges. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets. This is actually uh, chapter 5, verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, Yahweh, Jesus. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So last week we looked at Job. I, you think that I planned this, that, Job, that James would follow Job. Um, I, did, I didn't plan it, but it just like, oh my gosh. Like these two books, they just, they just dovetail in so perfectly. They, they, they say that the book of Job attempts to answer the problem of pain, the problem of suffering in the world, that philosophical issue. But in the end, God never gives Job or us an answer to the problem of pain. There is no answer. But what God does present is his glory. And what what did we learn from last week? What did Job get? Was Was his prize... That he got his, got another family? No, it wasn't, because that was his original family was taken. Was his prize that his money was doubled and he became rich and, and, and respectable again? No. No, his prize for faithfulness, his his prize for not breaking under the worst of all possible circumstances, even though like he's saying very difficult stuff, yet he says, although my Lord slays me, I will still worship him and put my hope in him. Now that is somebody that has joy inside of him. What I was really trying to get across last week is when we read Job's description of his life, of how he perceived the world, and what God did in, most likely in the spiritual realms, Job was not a depressed individual. Job was not depressed. You don't write that kind of stuff when you're depressed, you, you, you cannot go into space. You cannot see the universe the way that he did when you're depressed. I mean, like, full, this is full-blown scientific stuff. Like, I think that Job was teleported into space onto the belt of Orion. He saw that the the world was round before the Greeks figured it out mathematically. Isn't that cool? He knew that there were stars below, constellations that he could not see, yet God let him see them. And God took him into the very depths of our earth in the spirit. He saw the veins of the mountains. He saw jewels that we have never seen or discovered. He saw the very depths majesty and glory of who we who God is. Depressed, depressed people can't go there. They just can't because they're too man, they're just too inward focused, they're too just self-consumed. So James and Job, oh my. So what's he say from the very beginning, this is hard. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy when you are faced with trials. Let me just make it practical. Consider it pure joy when you can't pay your bills. Oh, joy. At least start there. I will give you permission to be sarcastic because at least it's going to get your mind thinking in that way. Oh, joy, I can't pay my bills. Ready for this one? Consider it pure joy when you get into an argument with your spouse. Oh, did I hear dang? I heard a dang. I heard, uh, amen. Okay, I heard an amen. The dang came from my spirit. <laughs> oh, joy. Here we go again. Again. Lord, really. Again. Oh, joy. And you just really got to push into the pain. Push into the problem. Because what, what is God going after? He's going as, after character development, perseverance don't like your job, oh joy. It's got to be that way. I hate my boss. I hate my job. If you you get a new one, if you get a new job, and if you get a new boss, guess what? You're going to hate them too. (laughs) And don't even bother applying here. I won't hire you. Because, I don't know, it'll probably be great for a couple of weeks until I drive you crazy, and then you're going to be like, I hate this place. <laughs> no, you say, and it, do you realize if you can't break this negative mentality, Pixar is not going to hire you? <laughs> oh, if I could only work for Pixar, if I can only be in this creative environment where people will really appreciate me, then I will be happy. no. They've got all kinds of really cool analytic, 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 analytic. I can't say the analytic. Oh my gosh! They have a lot of really cool tests, and they're not going to let you in. They're going to give you the 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 EOR test, and you're not going to pass it, and they're not going to let you in. All right, you got it. Now. Uh, one of the major themes about James is is the tension, the full-blown tension. And they will even say contrast between works and faith. You know the difference. So a works-based religion, we'll call it that, a works-based religion will say, I have to work hard in order to get God to love me. We're changing themes. We'll tie it all together hopefully in the end. I have to work God to I have to work in order to get God to love me or I have to work hard in order to be blessed. I have to work hard. This one's probably true though. I have to work hard or actually have to work hard to get God's favor. There might be some truth to that one, but you can't have you don't have to work hard to get God to love you. Regardless, works-based faith will kill you. Yep. It will drive you insane. That that will make you depressed. Like if you're all works and if you're no presence, it's going to drive you nuts because um, you are the one that is earning your salvation, not Jesus. Listen. My dear brothers, this is 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow To become angry. Everybody should be quick to listen and slow to actually slow to speak. As the great theologian Run DMC says, you talk too much. And homeboy, you never shut up. Shh. (laughs) Human anger does not produce righteousness. And I underlined human in my Bible. Human anger. There's a difference between human anger and godly righteousness. Godly anger. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of moral filth and evil so that uh, it is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that's planted in you. Humbly accept that. God has planted a seed of life in you. You have to humbly accept it Which can save you? Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. All right, church folks, grew up in the church your entire life, you really need to pay attention to this. Don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourself. What does it say? Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. You forget your identity. If you're just here listening. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, not forgetting what they heard, but actually doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. All right, you understand? got to understand. Let me keep going here. Because he continues, chapter 2, verse 26. As the body without the spirit is, is dead. Uh, have you ever seen a dead person? It's weird. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't seem natural. There's no spirit in them. I, I, I've, uh, it's been... I know, church life is difficult because people die. They get sick. They go to the hospital. So we've had a little season of that in our church lately. Um, There's two, two cases in the past month that I can remember. And tough, tough, tough. And looking into the body, I'm like, oh my gosh, the spirit is still in there. You can see it. I, maybe, you've seen, maybe you've had the same experience, that, but they're, they're alive. At the same time, I've seen bodies plugged in and juiced up, and there's no spirit in them. It's like, oh my gosh, this is tragic. They're, they're with the Lord, but their flesh is just plugged in. It's tough, very difficult. We need to continue to pray for Ismail Valdez. Tough case. He's there. Made eye contact with me yesterday and said my name. And they want to unplug him. All right. Don't listen to don't merely listen to the words and deceive yourselves. All right. Now, here's the here's the 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 tension. Here's the conflict. Okay, as the body without the spirit is dead, so you've heard this before. It's mentioned three times in James. So faith without deeds is dead. Faith without works is dead. You've heard this? Major controversy. Major tension in this. Because I just got done telling you that works isn't going to do anything for you. It's faith that does. And James is telling us faith without works is dead. And, And the answer is yeah, they're both right. They're both right. I, can I, I, okay, you see here? It says the body without the spirit is dead. Like philosophically, philosophically, we're talking about dualism. the, the body soul, body spirit thing. It, it, it's an integral part. We are we, we are integrated beings. Actually, I think it's a little more complicated than that. We're we're body soul and spirit. And what I believe what James is telling us here is that you can't have faith without works. And you can't have works without faith. Exactly. Yeah. And if guilt gets involved, like if you're feeling guilty because you're not working, I'm not quite sure you have to pay attention at least. Is it from the Holy Spirit or is that like from your own stuff, right? It takes a little discernment. Probably the best illustration is the Martha-Mary illustration. You know the Martha-Mary thing? Two sisters serving Jesus. Um, They're they're, they're just hanging out with Jesus socially. They're just in Jesus' presence. And and you you know the story. Mary is at the foot of Jesus, and Martha is working. And she's busy, 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 busy serving, doing works and Jesus says, you know, Mary has chosen the better. She's in my presence. Martha, slow down. So, there's always this, like, so how do you know? Because the other side of the coin is is you see people that are and I'll take I'll, I'll put this on myself. It's all faith, it's all believing, it's all subjective. I am I am just going to continue uh, I don't have any other language for this. I'm just going to continue just to soak in God's presence, and I ain't going to do anything. It's dead, dear. It's, it's dead. I'm just going to come to church and do praise hallelujah, but I'm not going to... Like, I don't have it in me to do anything. This is okay. This is, I think, this is what it is. Okay, so the, the term is faith without works is dead. Uh, actually, the dead is kind of the translation of dead is a little is a little iffy. It's more like faith without works is um, it's not complete, it's not whole, it doesn't it's it's without purpose. It's it's like a facade. It's false. It's fake. Does that make sense? Yes. So not only is it dead, it's a counterfeit. It's a lie that that we bought into. So I came up with this on my own. Faith without works is self-centeredness. Like I know you got problems. I got problems. But if my entire time and energy and resources is in my my own spiritual life is just committed to me and my problems, then faith without works is dead. Cuz it's self-centeredness selfishness, the selfish faith. Paul says you have to consider others above yourselves. So do you, in your prayer life, do you spend more time praying about your problems or do you actually intercede for other people? So That's a good telltale right there. Dang it. There's some really cool stuff about milk and meat. I'm going to skip that. All right. Chapter 3, verse 13. There are two kinds of wisdom, James tells us. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom so deeds good deeds ought to be done out of a out of a sense of humility was martha humble was martha humble when she was serving jesus she wasn't because she wanted attention she made jesus very well aware that she was doing all the work and her sister was lazy she made that, she, she vocalized that. She spoke that death into existence, and Jesus rebuked her for it. Wow. All right, I think maybe you should just, I don't know, if you're like, if you can, just grab onto the seat and, and quench it, right? And just like squeeze it, because this is going to be hard. Okay, humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, Selfish ambition in your hearts. Okay, think about this. Just, just go there with me. Just, if you have some bitterness, bitter okay, like who is it? Who is it right now? Is it your boss, family member, spouse, God? Bitter, bitterness. Somebody let you down. God let you down spouse let you down, life let you down, a little bitter, right? selfish ambition in your heart, like let's just face it, Martha was selfish, it's all about her, Mary had the possibility of being selfish, because it, was, it, it could have been all about her, and just in her, you know, her special time with Jesus. But Jesus saw her heart. She was willing to get up and serve, too. But she, just, she needed to soak in God's presence. Selfish and in your heart. Don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. Like some of us have been very successful with earthly wisdom. It's been earthly, unspiritual, and downright demonic. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers, okay, I think this is so key. Like the Christian life, you've got to be a peacemaker. Peacemakers who sow peace, and they reap a harvest of righteousness. I, I, I am called to be a peacemaker. Just real quick side note. In this political environment that we are in, are you a peacemaker? That's what the church is called to do. I mean, we, we need to stand up for justice and, and, and righteousness and all these things. But bottom line, we're called to be peacemakers in this world. Let's just build the bridges Reconnect the people that hate you on Facebook, whatever you need to do. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they do not come, don't they come, okay, oh, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What causes, okay, he's telling us, what, what causes quarrels, what causes fights, what causes dissension, what causes bitterness? Guess what? It's not external. It is not circumstantial. It is internal. It's a subjective inside deal. The problem is you, not, not, not your circumstances and not those people. He says it right here. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So the fight that we're having with our spouse It's just a manifestation of the battle that's happening inside of you. The tension that you're having with the boss—it's just a projection of the crap that you are warring with deep down inside of you. Whether it's pride, whether it's the the inability, or not the—I'm not going to submit. It's it's an inside job. It's it's the warring within us that gets projected out into our world. And, and, and we once well, let's continue. You desire but you don't have, and so you kill. So you, you desire your selfish ambitions and so you manipulate, so you tear down other people, so you you know, you, you try to take control of your, your environment and you kill things. Maybe not literally killing people, but you will kill what God is doing in order to be right, in order to get your way. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you you can't get what you want. And so you manifest that by what does it say? By quarreling and fighting. You don't have because you don't ask God. When you ask. You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. All right, adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? All right, so this is really tough. Like, how close are you with God? Is God your, is he your friend or is he your enemy? I think a lot of, for a lot of us, God is our frenemy. Because there's just certain areas in our life that we haven't completely surrendered to the will of God. And areas of the world still hold massive sway and influence in our souls. And they're at war with God. Um, I'm going to rip off Graham Cook a little bit today. He's our Wednesday night. Uh, video sermon series. It is so good, it feels like he's in the room. Like, it, I don't really like the fake video stuff, but this one's anointed. Yes. Like, I think, he, I don't know, it's just weird. Because it just seems like so, it is so for us. But the, the whole idea that he, he fleshed out on Wednesday is that we are a new creation. We're a new person. We're a new man. We're a new woman in God. And When these temptations and when these struggles and when these uh, stuff happens that we war against, it's the resurrection of our old dead selves. You are a new creation, and this stuff that's rising up to the the surface, you get to choose to either view it as my old dead self that I'm going to continue to kill or something I'm going to continue to entertain, something I'm going to continue to give life. Am I going to continue to feed that zombie? But you're new. So let's just bury that dead self once again. Graham says it better than I said it. It He does it with the British accent. (laughs) (laughs) Off right. Straighten up. (laughs) Makes it sound more spiritual. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or so. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he is uh, jealously longs for the Spirit has cause to dwell in us? But he. Okay. I got to get to this. John, come on up. Get the band up here. I'm, I'm trying to stay on time. But you, I got to. I got to do this. But he gives us more grace. More grace. You get salvation grace, you get empowering grace, you get life-giving grace, you get creative grace. There's a lot of different graces, there's a million different facets to grace. And he's going to give us more grace. Okay, but here is, this is one of the strangest passages in the Bible. So the definition of grace is free, unmerited, unearned favor from God. You didn't earn this stuff, it's given, it's a gift. He gives us more. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. All right, we can go there. And I deleted it. Dang it. All right, let's quote it from memory. God gives us more grace than he continues to say Wash your hands, you sinners. Get yourselves clean in God's presence. Wow, why, is that, why is that one of the most fascinating scriptures? Because I thought that that was Jesus' job. I thought he's the one that washes us clean. Yes, it is. But he's also saying, you're responsible for pulling your own weeds. Wash your hands, you sinners. Pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in the distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So pure, undefiled religion, excuse me, faith expressed, believing, action wheels on belief, Church Done Right is a church that takes care of those in needs, widows and orphans. I was talking to Dad this week about uh, what makes kid care different than World Vision, what makes kid care different than Compassion International, and we're like, oh my gosh, how do we, how do we differentiate ourselves from these big, giant, monster companies? And it really comes down to relationship. I believe we're small, we're intimate. We can have a direct connection to a child. You can sponsor a child and then he will drag you to Africa and you will meet that child. And if you can't afford Africa, you can sponsor a child and the Santa Marias will drive you to Mexico on a weekend and you can meet that child and you can go into relationship with them. Like tangible, touchable real relationship, and that's pure and undefiled religion. That's faith and works. Faith without works is dead. And so I just, like right now, think about, okay, am I a Mary, am I a Martha? If I gone too far extreme on the Mary stuff, where I'm just all hanging out at Jesus' feet, and I am not serving, like I don't, I have been to church my entire life, and I don't know how to pray for people, right? I have been in church my entire life, and I don't know how to serve anybody. I'll come up every single time and receive prayer for the issues and my depression and my issues and my lack. I will come forward and receive prayer all the time about that, but even though I've, been, I've grown up in the church, I haven't taught myself how to pray for the sick. Do you see where I'm going? It's... Faith, it's not faith or works, it's faith and works. It is, it, it's an integral part. One of my favorite scriptures is John 6, 8, where his friends, and quite possibly James, his older, his younger brother, said, what, what is it? what are the works that we must do? Like they ask him, they're asking the same questions we are. What are the works that we must do for the kingdom? And you know what Jesus's response is? It's not serve the poor. It's not take care of widows and orphans. It's not teach Sunday school. It's not pray for the sick. Guess what his response is? He says the work of, the work of the Lord is to believe in the one whom God sent for the forgiveness of sins. That is that's the work. And out of that Faith flows service. So, if like let's just say you're teaching Sunday school and you like you hate those kids, like they're just driving you nuts. You gotta you gotta become a Mary in that moment and reconnect with your first love. You have to build your faith up because we ought to be serving out of an overflow of joy and not out of a deficit. Let's just say you've got so much joy and you're not giving it away. You become a stagnant pond and you're not. You're making yourself sick and everybody else around you sick if you can't give away. Jesus tells us to his older brother, younger brother, the work of God is to believe this, that I am God in the flesh. I have come to set the captives free. They didn't believe it, by the way. We'll get into that some other day. So here we go. If anyone among you is troubled, troubled, Let them pray. If anybody is happy, let them sing songs of praise. If any among you is sick, let them call upon the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith, the prayer of faith, will make the sick person well. Amen. It works. The Lord will raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. That's pretty cool, right? Just automatically, mercy, grace covers a multitude of sins. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other. So, just don't receive all the prayer yourself. Actually, get outside of your comfort bubble and pray for others, so that you may be healed. You know that maybe the 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 reason why you're not moving forward the reason why you haven't been healed is because God is trying to show you that you need to do some stuff it ain't all about you the Bible's clear about that it's all about him the prayer of the righteous person, person is powerful and effective alright so right now we're just need we to just close in prayer John's going to continue with the song, and we're just going to release you, and I pray that you'll be blessed. I pray that whatever troubles that you have, I'm going to send you away with this one tool. Say, oh joy. If it starts off sarcastic, say it again until you actually mean it. Oh joy. And you get to choose whether you're going to learn from the situation or be the victim of the situation. And God wants you to learn. He's calling you into a higher revelation. He's calling you into process. And I know you want pixie dust. Like, I want pixie dust. I want God just to take care of my problems right here. Like, I'm going to go to the pixie dust conference. And at times, God will immediately heal you. He will immediately fix your situation as long as it doesn't rob you from a lesson that he can teach you in progress in procession in the the process of it all See, God doesn't want to rob you from a lesson that he can teach you in process so you just might not get pixie dust go after pixie dust at all costs though say God I want it now I want a miracle I want it now it's fine you do it I do it all the time But majority of the time, God is calling me into process. God, why haven't you healed my body? Well, it's because, I don't know, Josh, maybe because you're a jerk. And maybe me as the Holy Spirit, I want to to lift you up and I want to minister to that area and I want to heal that area that I am highlighting in you. And it's gonna take the pain to show you where it's at. Does that make sense? It's the process. We get so much more mature in the process than we do in the quick hit. It's the way it is. Heavenly Father, right now, I just pray that you just pour out your healing presence on us. I pray right now that you will affect our hearts, that you will return us to our first love. I pray right now that you will give us compassion for the lost. And when we don't know what to do or how to serve or how to meet other people's needs, God, I know that you can show us because your Holy Spirit guides us. So God, I pray that you will highlight the very simple acts of kindness that we can do that would be good works, that would not sap our energy, but that would actually bring us more joy and more hope and more life into our situation. So breathe life into that. God, we we know that you're God of justice, and you're going to undo the works of the enemy, which is in poverty. And so God, we say yes and amen to the call that you've placed on this house to serve the orphan and the widow. So we give out of an abundance. We give out of our need to serve the poor. So God, right now, I just pray that you give us the ability just to good, not, only, just to, not, not just to throw money at a problem, but to actually go into relationship with the poverty-stricken child, with the poor individual. God, let's invite him over to our house and feed him. Whatever it takes, God. We're just tired of being all about us. Let's even give out of our point of pain. Thank you, Lord.